0: Welcome to the Smell Yeah! podcast. I'm your host, Irene Plax. Whether your sense of smell is unusually strong or you're the complete opposite, this podcast is for you. Let's get into it. Smell yeah! You smell that? It's episode two, The Link Between Taste and Smell. In part four, I chat with Chef Angie Marin. We used to work together at the same recreational cooking school and became friends. She tells you where to go for the best Colombian food in Queens and what makes coastal Colombian food extra special. She is having an Arepa pop-up in Brooklyn, June 5th and 6th at King Thai Bar. Plus, hot tips on how to shop for fish. Hey, Angie. Chef Angie, welcome to the Smell Yeah! Podcast. Hello. Hello. So, um, do you want to tell us what what it is that you do and a little like background about how you got there?
1: Sure. Um, so, I am currently a professional chef and a chef instructor. I uh, was in nonprofit for ten years and switched careers about like in twenty fifteen. But in that time that I was doing nonprofit, I was always doing some cooking jobs here and there. Um, And then now I, yeah, I cook professionally. I'm a private chef, I teach cooking classes and I run a a little pop-up sometimes when I'm feeling in the mood to pop up.
0: (laughs) Amazing. And um, does your whole operation have a name?
1: Yes, it's Wiparepa is the name of the pop-up. Cool. Yeah, and with arepas, it's a Colombian food pop-up. So I make arepas, and I make uh, infused sauces, and you know, I'm sort of just trying everything out. <laughs> if I ever try to come up with my own like private dinner or something, I always try to incorporate some sort of Latin sort of influence into the food. Nice. Can you tell us a
0: little bit about your personal food
1: heritage? Yeah, so my family is from Colombia. My sister and I are first generation, born and raised here in New York. Um, and so my family is from the coast of Colombia. So from Cartagena, Batanquilla, from those places. Um, and our food, I don't know, it's just really, it's a little bit different than the typical Colombian food you find at restaurants, especially here in New York City. You find mostly food that is uh, from the interior and from the mountains. So it's heavier dishes. In the coast, we have a lot of coconut rice and fried fish. It's very Caribbean style food. The people um, uh, that live in the coast are typically Afro-Colombians. So there's a lot of influences um, from all types of Caribbean food, and there's a lot of Turkish food in Colombia in my area of Colombia too. Really, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found that I went to uh, Istanbul a few years ago, and um, as I was eating some of the food that they have, they're like pilaf and these like green bean stews. They were things that my grandmother used to make. And I found that super, just so interesting because um, I have a Turkish uncle. There's a, I think when sort of they were bringing slaves over to Colombia, um, in that there's a lot of different influences that came over. And since where we are in Colombia, we're at the coast. So because it's a port, there's a lot of people that stayed there and lived there are just from all over the world. So it's a really big mix of people there and the cuisine re- sort of reflects that.
0: Nice. Do you feel like you use your smell a lot
1: in cooking? Yeah, absolutely. I thought was one of my big fears with COVID was that I was going to lose my, if I got COVID, luckily I didn't, that um, I would lose my sense of smell. But yeah, you use it for everything. You use it when you're picking out ingredients, you're using it when you're cooking, when you're, when you're done cooking to make sure it's done. It's kind of, you know, it triggers a lot of memories when you're cooking too, so. Yeah, definitely use my sense of smell.
0: What are some things that you love to cook?
1: Uh, I love to cook. I really do like to cook everything. So my pop-up is arepas, which is a Colombian corn cake. I do love making sauces. That's one of my favorite things to do, whether it's for a whole dish or whether it's the ones I'm gonna sell. Like um, I love making sauces. I love comfort food. Cool, can you talk to us about your infused sauces? Yeah. So um, a few years ago, I knew there was a cannabis community here in New York City, but I didn't know where to start. So I met this couple that have a, their own company called Bread and Butter, and I sort of got involved with doing sort of infused foods with them. Uh, and whenever you infuse anything with cannabis, typically you have to infuse it into the fat of the dish. You don't want to cook it at too high of a heat either. Uh, and so what I figured was I would just keep making sauces for these events that I would do. So if it was like a flank steak, I'd make an infused chimichurri or a romesco or a vinaigrette. Um, and I've never really liked sweets. So I don't know about everyone else, but like you always in college is be like infused rice crispy treats and infused brownies. And that's not really my jam. And so Infusing the sauces was kind of like a good uh, vehicle for me to, to start it out that way. And so I make a chimichurri, a romesco, sofrito, uh, and aji picante, which is a Colombian hot sauce. And I'm gonna start including uh, a salsa matcha, which is a Mexican hot sauce, like a table side one. It's one of my favorite ones. It's made with like sesame seeds and peanuts and garlic. It's really good. Nice. What are the main ingredients in aji picante? Aji picante is um, habaneros. It's, it's a vinegar-based hot sauce. So it's habaneros and uh, just regular white vinegar. There's lime juice in there. And then you'll find sometimes they put tom- I put tomatoes in mine. Um, sometimes you won't find it. Usually just be cilantro and green onions. It's really simple and it's, it's sort of always table side. So if you go anywhere to get empanadas, Colombian empanadas here in New York City, you'll likely get a little side of aji picante with it. What makes a Colombian empanada a Colombian? A makes a Colombian empanada? Ah, it's the fried corn on the outside. So um, if you go like Argentinian empanadas or um, like Puerto Rican pastelitos, they're made with dough on the outside with like a flour-based dough. Um, and our empanadas in Colombia are made with what we use to make arepas, which is um, basically a cornmeal. Um, usually, you find it already like pre made, uh, but you make it with cornmeal and you deep fry them. So, you never bake, you almost never find baked Colombian empanadas. And they're also the best empanadas.
0: <laughs> Represent. Yeah. <laughs> to, me, to me, corn is really interesting because it can be sweet, it can be savory, it can be fermented. There's so many things you can do with it. um mm-hmm. Does the smell of corn, is that like a cornerstone for you in your own cooking?
1: I think if I'm making the arepas, yes. So, you know, um, I've made the arepas from scratch. So you normally use this, um, this masa that comes like a dry masa, you add water to it. And that's because the process of making the arepas is using dry corn, hydrating it, and then grinding it down. And it's takes a lot of work to do that. So now usually use the already made masa. Uh, When it's cooking, it's just a familiar smell, right? It's a smell everyone everyone recognizes, especially when you're making um, the sweet arepas. They make sweet yellow corn arepas. Um, In Venezuela, they're called cachapas. We just call them just sweet corn arepas. Um, And those those are just smells that when it hits the pan and when they're almost done, you can kind of recognize that smell. But I wouldn't say corn necessarily is a smell that I associate with like traditionally my family's cooking, it's usually like sofrito. So in French cooking, there's something called mirepoix, right? So mirepoix is your onion, celery, and carrot. Um, And that's the base of a lot of cuisine and a lot of cuisine in in the United States too, sort of what would be considered um, kind of traditionally American cuisine. Uh, And it's just sort of a base of aromatics. And so you'll find it like the Holy Trinity will be in Italy. Um, in a lot of East Asian cuisine, you'll find like garlic and ginger and fish sauce will sometimes be down there as well. And so in, in Latin American cooking, we have sofrito. So different countries make it differently, but I, uh, usually it's uh, onion, peppers, garlic. Um, sometimes they put turmeric, sometimes they put these little ají dulce, they put them in like a little sweet green pepper. And that, that's smell is the one that's familiar to me completely. You basically cook it down to a stew and you just add it to anything. So arroz con pollo, or you can do it in like your stewed meat. We add it to our eggs and make huevos pericos or revueltos is what they call them. But it's in everything. Nice.
0: Are there any smells that you think are maybe like acquired, like in cooking or in your particular cooking?
1: Acquired? I think I've, like you mean that something that I might have not liked before that took me a while to get used to. Mm-hmm. Not really. The one thing I, I'll say that, like, I still don't think I've gotten used to is the smell of cooking tripe. You know, I was thinking about it, and, and like, I grew up. My family would have these like huge parties um, for like New Year's or Christmas, and someone would make um, like a ton of food. Um, and at two, three o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden there was like a huge pot of tripe soup that had been cooking all day, and everyone that's drunk. Is going in with like styrofoam cups. We weren't we weren't environmentally friendly back then, and dipping the your cup and ing and the the soup itself tastes amazing, but the smell of cooking the tripe as it was cooked all day is is an awful smell. Yeah, because it's like you know you it has all the stuff on the inside. Yeah, it smells like poop. Yeah. (laughs) If I had to describe it like anything, it's like sort of like poop. There's no other way to, I wish it could uh, sound uh, more mature describing it, but that's pretty much it. It's just the poop smell. Like (laughs) you're supposed to clean it really well. So you clean it with vinegar and lemon juice is how you clean tripe. And now I think you just would find it cleaned and we're all kind of um, a little spoiled by butchers, nice butchers now, or going to Whole Foods or something. But my parents, yeah, we grew up here in Queens and we'd go to like, the butcher shop smelled awful. Every time you went in there, you buy tripe and it was still kind of dirty on the inside. It's the lining of your stomach and cow stomach. And um, you are supposed to clean it with lemon. And then it's a funny story. When we were younger, my dad, my mom told my dad to clean the tripe so she can make the soup. And when she came over, he'd had dish soap and a sponge cleaning the She's like, what are you, do- what are you doing? And, she's like, and he's like, oh, you said to clean the tripe. And she's like, why would you clean it with soap? So we ended up not being able to use that tripe. But once it, it smells fine when you have it in front of you. Once you start boiling and cooking it, the smell is pretty awful.
0: Have you ever come across a technique or have you ever, is it part of your tradition, maybe anything to trap the smell or make sure that it re- remains a part of the experience for the person eating it?
1: I think my only way that I would say that I, you would ensure that a food is that something is coming to someone's table with the right smell that you want it to smell like. And so it's sort of to hit that sense first. It's just to make it's like the, just the correct temperature. If you serve a cold soup, you're not really going to smell everything. But you have sancocho that comes to your table and you have the cilantro. The minute that acidity hits the cilantro, because when we eat our Sancocho, which is like a typical Colombian stew or like the more like a soup, um, you put fresh cilantro on top. The minute you hit it with lime juice, which we always eat it with lime juice, then all those, the heat from the soup, the fresh cilantro, and the lime juice, it it hits you. But the only way that's going to work is if the food is hot. But I can't think of anything that we might've trapped with with smells.
0: That's a good example. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there any things in like the dining experience that, or like that are maybe like specifically food adjacent, like somewhere in the whole process, like shopping, cooking, eating, cleaning, whatever, mm-hmm. that have a a very specific smell to you.
1: Uh, one of my favorite smells is if have you ever toasted coriander and then ground it in a mortar and pestle. It smells like trick cereal. If you ever, it's it's so. I whoever's listening out there, definitely do it. If you toast coriander seeds. In a dry pan, make sure you're keeping an eye on it. You can't walk away because it'll burn. But just toast it so you start seeing a little steam come up, and you crush it in a mortar and pestle. If you smell it, it smells like trick cereal. No, someone said Fruit Loops, but I think it smells like tricks. Um, so that's a smell that I guess even when I'm combining, I'm supposed to be combining my spices. I always do the coriander separate just so I can smell the trick smell. So
0: you and I used to teach cooking classes at the same place, and that's how we met. And I know that you're still teaching cooking classes. Are there any revelations that you've seen a student have around smell and flavor and that connection or just smell by itself?
1: You know what I have noticed? One of the things I know you've taught it to is um, when you see your meat. I think that's one of the ones that I feel like I've, I have had students, you know, so just... For anyone that doesn't know, that's the reaction of like sugars and protein and heat combining to create a crusty sear on the bottom of steaks or meat or whatever you're planning on searing. And the trick to searing is always, you know, make sure your meat is at room temperature, smoking hot pan, you don't mess around with it too much. Um, And so I think I've had students that maybe like they took their meat out of the fridge and then immediately they cooked it. So what that did is it steamed the meat for them. So when I'm teaching students about proper searing techniques, I feel like they get, they're like, oh, that smells like what steak is supposed to smell like, you know? And that's where I've seen them pick up that sort of smell, right? That smells like steak to me. Um, and, you know, I feel like that's a really good way for them to tell if it's, at least going forward for them to be able to tell if it's like cooking properly. Obviously, there's to the look at it as well and see if it has a nice crust, but in general, I feel like that's something that stands out to me. Like, oh, that, that that's what steak is supposed to smell like instead of, like, boiled meat. Are there any
0: dining rituals from your food tradition or that you've learned in your growth as a chef that, um, that you just think are,
1: like, very special? Dining traditions? Yeah, like any rituals around, like, the eating part? So, Colombia's crazy hot. You know, in the summer, it's really hot. Um, and we eat dinner for lunch there. So we eat a really big meal in the middle of the day. And then at night we'll eat like an empanada or a piece of toast or something like that. And I always remember like eating these really, really heavy meals. I mean, there was like soup and salad and beans and rice and steak and anything you can think of was on the table. And I would always pass out afterwards and I would always get made fun of. My family would make fun of me, but it wasn't like everyone just sort of went their separate ways for like an hour and like took a nap and then like slowly emerged <laughs> as the day was going on. It's too hot to go outside. So I feel like that um, is something. And I feel like any time we would go to the beach, we would always get the fried fish and coconut rice. So when you go to Cartagena, if anyone's not, never been there, uh, when you're sitting on the beach, people are coming up and down, like selling stuff all the time. But one of the things you always get is coconut rice, fried whole fish. Usually it's like a snapper type of fish, like a coleslaw type of vinegar based cabbage slaw and a beer. And so technically you don't eat the slaw because your stomach can't handle that. It's rinsed in tap water in Colombia because it'll make you sick. But other than that, I can't think of any other um, sort of rituals or anything like that.
0: So you introduced... Oh, cute. I can hear the birds
1: outside. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they want to be part of the podcast.
0: <laughs> um, you introduced me to queso fresco.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And to me, that has a really interesting smell, like before it hits the heat. Yeah. And yeah. I was hoping you could just talk to us a little bit about queso fresco and what it is.
1: Sure. So the cheese, it's, it's like queso fresco, but it's called... Queso Costeño, so it means coastal cheese. So, whenever you go anywhere to buy it, but it has the look and similar, tiny, similar smell to like regular to what queso fresco is, which is more Mexican. Um, The smell is you don't really find it in the United States, but it's you do you can find cheese that's Ecuadorian or Salvadorian, and it smells pretty similar to ours and has similar taste, but ours is completely unique. So, the cheese is sort of the texture is sort of a rubbery texture. You can grate it. Um, it smells like the funkiest feta you could ever smell. I buy it for my pop-ups at like some butcher in Jackson Heights. You have to ask and they go to the basement and get it for you. And, you know, it's sort of the only place you can sort of find it, little underground place to find it. Um, but yeah, it has a funky smell. It's super duper salty. Um, but it's what we use to make our our cheese empanada. So if you get a cheese empanada here at any Colombian place, typically you'll, it's likely with like mozzarella inside is how they make it here. If you go to like a mama's empanadas or a place like that, and you're in Colombia, you get that really funky, salty kind of cheesy taste. And it's only from this specific cheese. So I have memories of my family. I mean, I don't know if in the 80s, it was illegal to bring cheese over, but I'm assuming it was because they would pack it really tight in our luggage. And I guess I always remember it being packed in these like blue and white striped plastic shopping bags and wrapped in like four or five of them. And your clothes would stink until you had to walk. Like if, you're, you'd wa- if you'd wash your clothes in Colombia and it was in your luggage, your clothes would all smell like that cheese would smell like it leaked all over the stuff. But the cheese is amazing. So for my pop-ups, um, I use it for the so Like I'll sell just a cheese arepa or I'll sprinkle it on top. The cheese is very intense and I think it's really intense for some people. So sometimes I'll mix it with a mozzarella like it's pretty mild. Is there anything
0: else before I get into like some more rapid fire questions? You mm. want to
1: talk about smells, you mean? Mm-hmm. In terms of smells? No, definitely. I really hope people out there try the coriander trick because I don't know if it's like if I'm going crazy and I smell it. But like I am convinced that it smells like trick cereal. So I'd be really interested if anyone out there also smells like the trick cereal uh, when they uh, grind their coriander. All right.
0: We can leave that for the comment section. OK. Favorite and least favorite smells in the kitchen.
1: Oh, um, so favorite smell: baking bread. The smell of sancocho, so like the Colombian soup. My favorite smell, and ah, um, uh, so we do like a steak in uh, which is like steak with onions, and it's just a smell that brings you back to being a little kid and. Whenever I make it or whenever I eat it somewhere, it's a, a smell that immediately tricks. Something that I grew up eating a lot. It was pretty much an affordable that and lentils was like sort of the most affordable meal we can have growing up. And that's a smell that to me always sticks with me. And then worst smell in the kitchen, um, I would say tripe, which I mentioned already. And the smell of um, of eggs that were burned in a pan. <laughs> That's a good one. I And it's really specific, but it's like, it's such a rough smell. It's so gross. Um, and so, yeah, the, always clean your pan when you make eggs because that's a disgusting smell. <laughs> Amen.
0: Um, okay. A question, a listener question is what is the difference between Colombian and Venezuelan arepas?
1: Ah, so there is no difference. <laughs> so it, when, um, when what would be called like Gran Colombia was colonized, it was um, Ecuador, Colombia, and Venezuela. Um, so all our food pretty much similar depending on what region you are. Um, and arepas were very typical to Venezuela and Colombia. So the two main differences, I would say, uh, one is popularity of, Colomb- of Venezuelan food. I feel like Venezuelan had this like sort of surge in popularity that Colombian food never really had the opportunity to have because of all the conflict in Colombia with uh, paramilitary and a lot of the drug cartel stuff. Like I feel like our food never really had the time here to grab a footing, right? To grab a hold and kind of become popular. So whenever anyone thinks of arepas, they associate it with Venezuelan arepas. And typically, I was convinced that arepas in Colombia are served with the ingredients on top. But now I'm thinking through some research (laughs) uh, in this break that I've taken from my pop-up, I found that that might have just been the one or two that I ate when I was in Colombia because I've seen that some of them stuffed them on the inside. So here I was all high on my horse of like our toppings are on top. Um, But typically what you'll find, especially if you come to my pop-up, I will put the ingredients on top of the arepa and just build. And I think that's just more for my own chef thing of like wanting things to look pretty and I use a lot of edible flowers and things like that. Amazing.
0: Um, I think that's so
1: interesting,
0: your point about Colombian food not getting its shine. And um, so that makes me think of two questions for you. One, if so, in, in case people are listening, not in New York, but they're able to try Colombian food um, is there anything you would recommend they order so that they could really like start to get a feel for it?
1: Yeah. So if you happen to be in Miami specifically, I'll go to Miami for a second because then I can promote coastal Colombian food, which is not what you find anywhere. Um, I would get uh, atroz con coco, which is coconut rice, which is, the process of making it is just really so Involves that it makes it taste so much better. And it usually has raisins in it. And it's made by like opening the coconut, taking the milk out, blending it, squeezing all the milk out, and just skimming the top of the fat, frying the fat of the coconut milk, and cooking the rice in the fat. It's such a beautiful process. Now you can sometimes find it's called Tito Te, T I T O T E. And it's like a little bottle that they sell of just the cooked coconut fat, and you can use it to make rice. If you ever find it, I definitely buy it. It's kind of expensive, but it's amazing. So coconut rice, um, uh, arepa dulce, which is a sweet arepa, and they'll put sometimes um, anise seeds um, and sugar, and they fry them. And so in the coast, we fry arepa, so they, they puff up like that, and they're really good. So typically in the interior of Colombia, the arepa is really plain, and it's served alongside food. Uh, on the coast, it's kind of a whole sort of street food meal. So you'll usually find it um, arepa de huevo. If you ever find arepa de huevo, like just like uh, arepa with an egg that's twice fried on the inside, it's the most amazing thing in the world. So you have to get that. Likely you'll find restaurants that have like uh, kind of food uh, from Bogota or Medellin. And so bandeja paisa, you just, that's just a traditional food you have to get bandeja paisa, or bandeja montañera, which is like, the idea is, was these workers would go out into the fields to go where your coffee fields or wherever they were working, and they would come back home for their lunch, which is our dinner. And the bandeja paisa, it's rice, beans, egg, plantain, chorizo, steak or ground beef, um, chicharron, which is fried pork belly, uh, and and arepa on the side. So about nine different ingredients on it. So if you find it, Take a friend to eat with you or you'll have lunch for three days whichever way you want to do it but i would definitely have when they have paisa have one of our uh, empanadas if you've never had and have um, arepa which is you know that's my jam (laughs)
0: if you are living in new york are there any colombian restaurants you want to shout out or encourage people to check out for a good experience
1: so first of all come to my pop-up if you see me pop up somewhere Um, If I was to do Colombian food, come to Jackson Heights in Queens. If you're someone that's, like, lived in Brooklyn or the city and never wandered to Queens, uh, shame on you, first of all. And then if you come to Jackson Heights, right around between 74th Avenue and 82nd Avenue uh, on Roosevelt, which is right under the 7 train, um, that is really, really, there's just very classic Colombian food. Um, There's a place called Seba Seba S-E-B-A. Uh, that's one of my favorite spots. Do you have a scent vision for the future? I think it'd be so cool if they were like, to come up with like an actually good smelling candle (laughs) that smells like, that like triggers a, a, a sense of like the smell of a food, right? Like everything you find now is like, you know, I don't know cinnamon rolls at like Beth and Bath and Body Works. And like, it always smells so bad. <laughs> like it never smells good. Someone ever comes up with an actual, like, like the smell of like, you know, that soup or, you know, the smell of like, you know, one of my favorite smells to go back to your other question is like when you make chicken broth, you know, at home, that's my favorite, like an hour in like the smell really starts to hit, right. Cause all the flavors are emulsifying and the smells are coming up. So someone can get that smell. I think it would just be really comforting for people. I think food food does that, the smell of food does that for you a lot. Amazing. Savory candles. Savory, yeah. Savory. Someone has to get on making, you know, arepa-scented candles and hit me up. Any smell tips for the people? Yeah, I mean, when you're picking out ingredients, obviously you want to get the best of everything. So buy fish that doesn't smell fishy. It should smell like the ocean. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? If anyone out there is looking for a private chef, hit me up. <laughs> I'm like looking to find a couple new families to cook for. Um, I um, am going to be working on my sauces this summer. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This was so fun.
0: Thanks for listening. Drop a question for our smell mail segment on Instagram at smellya yeah podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean.